Welcome to the Audacious Intent Podcast with Imani Harris. This podcast is for the visionary woman who is ready to create the flexibility and freedom they desire by standing boldly in their authority. I can't wait to share tips and inspiration to keep you pressing forward in your journey so you can continue to shine as the queen that you are. All right, queen, let's dive on into today's topic. the mic with another special guest. I have been on cloud nine, you guys, this whole year so far, because this season I have been bringing some amazing, powerful people to the podcast to spread and share their knowledge, their inspiration, their empowerment to you as well. So I just want to share the mic and say a warm welcome to Muriel Foulous. Muriel, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes. And guys, listen, we met on Clubhouse, and this is the first time we are virtually having a conversation. So again, I've been saying the power of the Clubhouse app, which is just an audio app, everyone, just like how you're just listening to us today, but there's the power of connection that is happening on there that's not happening anywhere else because we can all have our own tone. We can listen and hear people's excitement. We can hear when they're struggling. We can be very considerate of everyone's opinions. There's love that is displayed. It's a safe place. And it has just been very monumental in the people that I have had a chance to meet and to connect with that I know is just the beginning of a great long relationship. So, Muriel, tell the audience what inspired you to start your business, Single Moms Doing It All. So I was coaching for years. In fact, I've been starting to coach. I was thinking back, um, uh, you know, my purpose literally found me and hooked on when I was in high school. I was coaching on relationships for years. At one point, uh, I started a business with it. I said I might as well make money. So I got certified and then started uh, taking money for it. And when my kids became teenagers, I raised three kids as a single mom. And everything was on me, the financial, emotional, everything. And they became teenagers. They started acting out in potentially dangerous ways, going to parties and trying things. And I started feeling so anxious. I started spiraling into anxiety because my thing until then had been, I'm protecting them 24-7, I'm controlling them. That big illusion, you don't control anyone. And I was waking up at night with horror scenarios in my mind, like imagining them dead or horrible stuff. And I slowly, slowly spiraled into depression without even realizing it. When I realized it, um, if I, I started catching thoughts like, I want to disappear. If something was just taking me out of this planet, I would be okay with it. And so I would never kill myself because I, I, that's not me, but I didn't care if I died. And my, uh, so my daughter came back from university. She graduated in psychology and she came back to live with us. And she was like, you know, mom, you have a lot of signs of depression. And when I realized that on the list of signs I was marking yes to a lot of them, I said, okay, it's time to do something. I 
I didn't realize before because I'm usually a very positive person. So me depressed, nah, I don't think so. And then when it was there, I had no other choice. I started praying for help because I've always been meditating daily and I connected with God, the universe, source, depending on how people resonate with. Um, and one night I woke up in tears because I realized that I didn't like my life. And I was never able to admit that before because there was a huge shame. Because to me, it meant that I didn't love my kids. I mean, I had healthy kids. In appearance, things were okay. But here I was not liking my life. Even I think I was even hating it at the time because I felt overwhelmed, powerless, uh, hopeless. And that night, it became evident to me that we are walking paradoxes. I could not like my life and I could still love my kids. So I guess I shedded the self-judgment about it and I was able to see it. And that was the beginning of healing. I went back to my practices. I doubled my meditation. I doubled my journaling and I created a process for myself to intervene on an emotional and nervous system level when I was waking up at night with scenarios of horror, which was literally anxiety. I was living in anxiety almost 24-7. And from there, I bounced back. When I came back to myself, I it had been so difficult, so debilitating, that I vowed that I would do anything I can so single moms wouldn't have to struggle alone like I did. And that's where I shifted the direction of my business to helping single moms. That is very powerful because I think so often there's already such a stigma and shame to mental health that that causes us to really not talk about it or to even reach out for those resources and help because people don't talk about it. It's not looked at, you know, positively. And then you also have that other struggle of, well, you're, you're the single mom. You're supposed to be strong. You shouldn't be, you know, vulnerable. This shouldn't be happening to you. So now you're like, okay, which one am I supposed to do? Do I need to go ahead and get the help or do I want to just kind of continue on autopilot? So touch on how that was really, you know, monumental for you to take that label off in a sense of the shame that you talked about to get you to where you are now to be of help to others. So, Taking the shame away, because I guess a part of me was also believing under the surface that things were my fault, that I didn't do it correctly. Maybe that's why they acted in that way, uh, that they were willing to try things and maybe put their life in danger. And I, I was functioning at a level where I felt over-responsible for everything. Everything was my fault. I had to be in control of everything. A kind of... Uh, leaning to want to be perfect and I was not perfect but nobody should know about it because what would they think about me they would think I'm not a good mom that means I'm not a good person if I want to leave when I have kids depending on me and that was a huge shame I see that for moms we have a lot of how it should be imposed on us when our kids are not doing well people look weird at us. When our kids are acting out, people look like if it was our fault. And when you can't manage everything, it's like, oh, 
she should be able to. So it, to me, it was so present that even myself, I couldn't look at that. When I looked at that and I connected with the pain of it, that was the catalyst, I think. I realized that maybe other people are in pain and I'm very, very sensitive to pain of other people. Um, I think that's one of the things that God gave me to come on earth to help people with because since I was in high school, girls who were in pain were coming to me and I was having this soothing effect. So I started doing that to myself. It's almost like parenting yourself, like seeing the little girl in you that is wounded, that is afraid, that is even terrified and that is craving for some support. But as a single mom, I have no family here. I had no support. And even my family, I love them, but I'm used to be, I have the role of the, the one that takes care of others, the, the healer, if you want, the, the one who helps other, others in my family. So they don't see me as the one who needs help. And I guess I never learned to ask for help. That's another thing. I was not someone who asked for help. I was the one who manages by herself, the one who's strong. And even myself, I had this image of myself. I had to accept that no matter how, what format it's going to be, you need to ask for help. In my case, I asked God and and that worked magnificently because I changed the way I do things. Now I rely way more on God. Um, because when you define, there is a very important thing to be defined is your area of power where you can make things change and do stuff and your area of powerlessness. And you have to be trusting in life and in God enough to know that what you can't take care of, it will be taken care of by the universe and you have to be also humble enough to know that you're not all powerful and there are stuff you can't do and you you shouldn't do them because you you waste energy that you could allocate to that area of power to learn what you have to learn to manage to nourish yourself as as women and as moms we don't we, it starts a, a little bit now in society that we understand what we need to nourish ourselves first and then we have something to give but that wasn't something I've learned so all that was in the mix and now I'm really focusing on helping women be there for themselves no matter if they have small kids or I, I focus more on moms with teens but I, I, they have other teens other kids who are younger you need to address that first and you need to accept radical self-acceptance of what you think is flawed in you Otherwise, you, you can't really go anywhere. Oh, that just touched me right there. That is so powerful because you're right. In our environments and how we grow up, we're not really taught to have self-love. You know, society says self-love, self-care. Ooh, that's being selfish. You can't do that. We've also been a culture to think that all women have to be the strong ones. They're, they're, the, they're the glue of everything. And so you can't show vulnerability but vulnerability is what helps free up other people because now you know there's other people besides yourself that's dealing with similar or the same constraints. You know, I know that's how it was for me is that growing up, no, you didn't talk about what happened in the house anywhere else. No one was supposed to know the family business. Children were to be seen and not heard. So you knew very early you couldn't use your voice. You only had a certain role to play and you just continue to play it. 
not realizing how much it was really a detriment to you and to those who are around you. So I think that's very, very significant that we all learn that it's okay to focus on yourself to make sure you are well, that you are whole, that you are refilled and refreshed so that you can be of service to those that you were meant to call, meant to serve, meant meant to help. So share with us about how important it was to really deepen your relationship with God and how it helped you to really do the inner work that was necessary. So to me, it was crucial because what brought me down was the fear of my kids dying. And that I cannot control. So when I really went deep into that fear, I went to the depth of the depth. I said, okay, if I'm supposed to lose a child in this life, there's nothing I, the little I can do that will change that. Uh, I believe that our soul decides this kind of stuff at what age we're going to die. It's together with God, with the universe. As a human being, I cannot change that. And I also trusted that Every time in my life I had challenges, um, I shared with you before the interview that I almost died from hepatitis B when I was three days between, they didn't know if I would survive. So every time I had a strong challenge, I got help. Every time I got a strong uh, danger or challenge, I got the inner resources to, to stay where I was supposed to stay. So I trusted that what was given to me since I was born will continue. There is no reason for it to stop unless you pinch that source off, like walking on a hose, you know, when the water can't pass anymore. If I leave the way empty and free, God, the universe will help me, will help my kids, will protect me, will protect my kids. And if, God forbid, I had to lose someone, I will be given the tools to deal with that if and when that happens. So once I accepted that, and I'm saying it like it's easy, it's not an easy thing, but when you start working on it, you accept it, there is a whole part of your energy that is suddenly freed because it was hooked to that fear, managing it 24-7 in the back of your head, in your unconscious mind. And on a physiological level, your fight or flight response in your body is activated because there is a threat that is there in your mind. The brain doesn't make the difference between a real lion running after you and a thought running after you. So 24-7, I was functioning at a low-grade level of anxiety, which was detrimental to my body, which was preventing me from thinking clearly, but because when the fight or flight is active, when the amygdala in the brain is sending a cascade of biochemicals and doing what it's supposed to do in times of crisis, a part of your blood flow, which normally goes to the frontal cortex, the brain where you analyze, find up solutions, is redirected to your limbs so you can fight or flight or run. And you can't find the solutions. You can think clearly. So all that energy that was attached to the fear of my kids dying was freed up. And suddenly I had more resources to focus on what can I do to make sure everything goes well? What can I do to nourish my relationship with my kids? What can I do to help myself heal and go back to my normal self? And 
so that's what happened once I was able to confront that fear and accept the fact that we are very powerful, but we're not all powerful. And on a spiritual level, we are here to learn lessons. If my soul decided that I had to learn a certain lesson, who am I to get in the way of that? Or in other ways, it's going to go way better if I am cooperating than if I am resisting. Because, like I said, a, a, a bunch of energy is allocated to the resistance. And uh, does that answer your question? Because I went on a tangent and I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, no, that's fine. You know, we all have different ways that we express um, our way of, you know, thinking and the question and the solution. And I mean, I'm right there with you because I'm in the medical field. So I know exactly what you were talking about. So kind of breaking it down, what would be three to five key ways that you are able to help even single moms or just anyone in general dealing with any type of trauma or, you know, chronic event in their life to help them shift the perspective of their viewpoint on it. So first, uh, where it starts is acknowledging what is, because most of the time we don't want to feel those horrible feelings. So it's like we leave our body in some way. We're all in our mind and we are there because we don't want to feel. It's going back in the body and really feel those uncomfortable feelings. And sit down and see what is my area of power, what is my area of powerlessness. In any challenge, there are those two. Trust and build whatever you have to do to be okay with the area of powerlessness. If you believe in a higher power, get help from this higher power, because it's always there for you. It makes you breathe. Your blood is is uh, running in your body. Everything that's supposed to be taken care of is taken care of. So you could trust that it's going to be there for you. The, and then focus on the area of power. And what helped me in living uh, this habit of being in anxiety, because it started at a level of a thought. So I started to do, and I created an acronym for, for what I did every time it came back to me in the middle of the night or in the middle of the day. I call it AID, A-I-D-D. And the first A starts for awareness, what's going on. So you, you can feel it in your body when you're anxious or when you're in fear. That's, there is no doubt about that. Uh, it's very strong. So whether it is fear or sadness or whatever you're experiencing, acknowledge what is going on. Then the I is sometimes when it's so strong, even though it comes from a fear or a group of fears that are running behind the curtain 24-7 or even in that moment stronger, you cannot intervene on a thought using a thought because there is the physiology is already engaged your nervous system is on edge it's it's on alert and the only way to calm it down is to go through the body so i use the emotional freedom technique or cold tapping uh, it starts to be known now but if people are not familiar with it it's a combination of using the nervous and energy meridians that they use in acupuncture uh, so we tap on it. It's called acupressure. And we use aspect of cognitive behavior therapy, which is like going with the behavior and, and changing and exposure therapy because you confront 
what is going on in your mind, your fear, your whatever is going on. So I use tapping because it has the power to calm down, to dialogue with the stress center in the brain, the amygdala, and to calm down the stress response in your body. Because like I said earlier, when you are on alert, when it's active, your fight or flight, you cannot think straight. So first you calm the body and the nervous system down, and you come back to a place where you're more centered. You may not be able to be positive yet because the gap is too far between your scenario of horror or, or sadness or whatever you're running and where you want to be. So you come back to center. So that's the I, the intervention at a body level. And then the, the first D is for decide and discard. Decide if the thought that you're running in your mind if you want your life to be run by that thought, because you know everything starts with a thought. Our reality is created by our thoughts, because our thoughts create our perception, it creates our action, and it creates our results. And if you're talking about energy, we vibrate at a certain level, and it's like an elevator. When you vibrate at the level of fear and anxiety, you stop at that floor, and that's what... You're going to see because of your brain and a part of it that acts like a filter called the reticular activating system, which will show you, yeah, you should be afraid because look at this and look at that. And those are the things you're going to notice in the real world. And on an energy level, you're going to vibrate at that level. So you're going to be matched with things, people and situations that will resonate with fear. So on those two levels, if you continue to entertain these kind of thoughts, that's what's going to become true for you. So you decide to let go of that thought. And then the last D is for define, decide on another thought and define your reality with that. And that can be a little bit tricky because sometimes when you're in the middle of it, you don't think, what could I think instead? So what I have people do is when they are okay, when they're fine, have a little notebook and write down things that bring you back to that state of I'm, I'm fine, I'm alive, I love life. I'm okay, I'm safe. And sometimes it's a song. You can dance because body movement will change your physiology and it will change your thoughts. It can be gardening, can be cooking, can be call a friend and have uh, a, a conversation with them. So you have all those things because thinking about your friend and the conversation you're going to have is going to put you in a good place in your heart. Uh, it can be kittens, it can be things that make you melt, your kids, your loved ones. So put that on a notebook because in that moment, if you can't come up with something, look in your, in the, in your little notebook and see, oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, I love that. And you can even go on YouTube and look at funny stuff. Have some resources available. And soon enough, you're going to become super good at that. Because everything is a question of training. Like, you know, Michael Jordan didn't become, become Michael Jordan uh, not doing anything. He trained and trained and trained. With the brain, it's the same thing. You train your brain to become better at coming back to your center and to a good place. And when you practice that over and over, your brain connections, your brain wiring is going to change. And you will have a, a more, it's going to happen more and more during the day. And soon enough, it's going to be your entire day. You're going to be centered. When something throws you off, it's going to take like 10 minutes to come back instead of two hours. And it becomes, you become more resilient. You become more uh, able to come back, bounce back.
you got me on the kitty things. I was like, oh, she knows I watch kitty videos on YouTube. Oh, guilty, guilty, guilty. Um, but that's what helps me. Like if something kind of bothers me throughout the day, I set aside time every single day to get at least three to four good kitty videos on YouTube of just how cute they are and other people feeding them and just showing yeah. such selflessness. Yes. to an animal because they have emotions and feelings too and I actually have two angel kitties that are strays in the neighborhood and I feed them and it's like they always know exactly when to come to the door when I open it and then they greet me warmly with the meow and they act like they've been there the whole time but that helps to take the perspective of whatever was going on at the moment and focus on being in the present I think that's really key is that we don't give ourselves time to be fully present, just like you said, to analyze and evaluate the emotions, pause, stop and reflect. Are they real or are they bigger than I'm making them? And then now what is the next step? I just think that is amazing. Because you, you were talking about uh, the taboo on mental health earlier. So we don't talk a lot about that. And we in our culture, especially in the United States, Every time something is not well, take a pill, do something about it. It is not seen as a useful thing to stay a little bit in the uncomfortable moment. But if you want to heal, you have to feel. And that's not fun to feel that emotion and start working with it. That's why we, we run away doing something else. But, and that's why tools, having tools in your arsenal, like tapping or something else, which can help you calm down, but still, analyze what's going on and still uh, have your power back. It's, it's crucial. You, you can work with that emotion because emotions are messages to ourselves. Even fear has a message behind it. And when you can go behind, like I went behind my fear of losing my kids, I realized that I was running my life counting only on me. Even though I believed I was counting on me to solve everything. I let go of that superwoman identity a long time ago. I was like, nope, doesn't serve me. I don't want to be a superwoman. I don't want to have to fight. I want my life easy, easier. And just by letting go of that way of seeing myself, I started perceiving the world in a different way and help started coming. Well, I think that's really key. What you said is the part is that you surrendered the need to be able to do everything. You surrendered the need for control of every aspect of a situation. And so that surrender, I feel for a lot of us, is very hard for us to do because human nature gives us the ability and the perception that we have to know what's the next move. We have to know what's around the corner. We need the whole thing planned out. And we have loss of control when it doesn't fall in the same line that we planned it. But that's just not life. It's not going to always be in a line, you know, A to B. You might have to skip some steps. You're going to be deterred. You're going to have a detour. You're going to do an about face. There's going to be all those things. And it's being able to focus and, 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 and face them in a sense when they do come. And then the second thing you said is you have to be okay being in that uncomfortableness for a little while we don't like being uncomfortable but the key thing is uncomfort is where the most growth for us happens if we stay comfortable think of like linus you know with the you know peanuts he always was carrying that blanket around 
Now, of course, my question is, do they ever get washed? Because we never saw him putting it <laughs> in the washing machine. You know, so I'm a little germaphobic. So I'm like, eh. and then Snoopy is always snatching it away from him. So you got all the dog germs on it. But he never wanted to be away from it. And I think as humans, we're the same way. We have a certain level of comfort that we get settled in it. But then it also causes us to be complacent as well to not want to move. So when we uncomfort comes, now we're like, Mm-mm, no fam, don't want to do it. So when it comes to being okay, being comfortable, what do you feel or how have you helped women to really address that and face it in a true way? So it's a question of what's like anything else. What story are you telling yourself? Because if you look in nature and even in our body, what makes us get up and drink a cup of water? We are uncomfortable. We are just thirsty. What makes us eat? We are hungry. I mean, we should eat when we are hungry. Now, <laughs> that may not always be the case, but at the basis level, that's what it is. Uncomfort will lead you to take action. And it's not a bad thing. Because if you are uncomfortable with something, it's a cry for change. It's your you can even see it like a wisdom, life's wisdom, to let you know that what you're doing doesn't work at your best interest. So if you understand that, you know, when I was coaching women on relationships and they were going through a breakup, when you know that all the pain you went through a relationship was to make you become somebody stronger, was to make you Learn to choose the right companion, somebody who's there for you, not somebody who's there to take only. Then all the pain that you went through was not in vain. And that lowers the level of pain. You're like, okay, that was not in vain. Then that's not, that's okay. And that's my, if there is one thing I remember is that's not in vain. When you know that, you have more endurance to go through it. We were talking about Viktor Frankl before we started this interview. He was in the concentration camp. I mean, that's as, as bad as you can be. If in a place like that, you still can focus on the fact that you still have the right to respond, to have that millisecond of choice and say, no, I'm going to respond in that way instead of that. Everything is possible. It's all about what you're telling yourself. If you're telling yourself, I shouldn't be in pain. That's something that played against me when I was raising my kids was it shouldn't be that way. Remove that thing. There is no should. If it happens, it was supposed, it should happen because there is a purpose to it. And I'm not saying that there is a reason for everything, although I believe that there, there is a, in a lot of cases, but even if it's not true, you make the reason. You make it not in vain. And then you're a winner because you got something out of it. You were talking about school, be, uh, class, life being uh, full of lessons. Make yourself graduate that lesson. And then the pain is not in vain. So I remind them that if they're in pain, what is more painful? To stay the way you are and continue living the way you are? Or to go through that pain and become something else where it's easier. Because sometimes the pain of staying how you are is stronger. So you have to change. And that uncomfort is the process. It's the 
tunnel and there is a light at the end of it. I remind them of that. And I remind them too, I met many women in my life. Some were so strong. I met women who left their husband with their kids when they were menacing them and they had a gun and they were saying, I'm going to kill you if you leave. And that woman was in my car, was giving her a ride one day. And she was like, yeah, but you know, I don't have your strength. I said, are you kidding me? You left. I don't know if I would have been capable of, even though the threat was there, to take my son and leave. You're strong. You don't even know how strong you are. So remember, it's not in vain and you have what it takes. It's, it's one of my, I put it everywhere. You have what it takes and then everything's going to be much easier. I definitely love that. And that kind of brings to the point that so often we're basically given the perception that we don't, we're not in control in those certain situations that we no longer have a choice when in essence we do because no we cannot control what people say do think or act against us but where the choice is is in our response that's the choice that we have control over is how do we allow what is being said done thought of doing behind the scenes about us how to respond in kind to it and then that should really help us to really kind of, in a way, pause, stop, and reflect to assess what should be the next reaction, which is really in a proactive way, because you're taking time to, like you said, really analyze what you're feeling, seeing what it means, and then now figuring out what is the lesson to be learned to get you to the next step in your life. <sighs> And sometimes you can't do it in the moment because let's say you, so I was talking about that woman. First thing, you have to make sure you're safe. And sometimes things go so fast that you react, you don't. So the key is to when nothing's happening, train your brain, visualize yourself going through the same thing and reacting in your best interest, reacting differently. Because the more you're going to train your brain, the more you're going to have access to that new way of reacting in moment of crisis. I'm very big on brain, uh, brain training. Very, very big because we are programs. 95% of the time we're unconscious. So we work from our integrated, implanted programs. So if you change the program over and over, the brain loads with repetition and emotion. So you, you train your brain like an athlete to react differently that on that time. Maybe you didn't last time. Next time, I've seen that with my kids when I was young. Uh, not when I was young. I mean, I was younger, but my kids were young. I've been raised with a father, you know, the old-fashioned way. Uh, like you were saying, you, you, you heard but not seen. And my father is a great person, but he had the old-fashioned way. And for him, if you disobeyed, that meant you don't respect him. That meant you don't love him. So he was reacting with, with very strong intensity because there was a wounding under the surface of, I'm not loved. One day, I was yelling at my kids when they were younger, and they did disobey. I don't remember even what they did. And I stopped myself. I was like, oh, my God. I'm re reproducing that same way of being. And I'm not blaming him. I mean, that's what he knew, but that's not something I wanted to continue on. And I caught myself. So I caught myself after fact. So I started training my brain. The next time, I caught myself in the middle of it. 
And soon enough, it became that I was catching myself when I was going there and I was like, nope. And soon enough, it was a non-issue. It's all a question of rehearsal in your mind, brain training, see yourself, know that you're strong enough, know that it's worth it, even if it requires an effort and maybe uncomfort and know that you train your brain, you will get there. That's definitely like in a sense that people say, you know, there's your reaction time. You know, so often we do repeat lessons and really is to make sure we've learned it. But a lot of times I know people will be like, well, why does this keep happening to me? It's the same thing over and over again. And they just beat themselves up on the fact that they're repeating the lesson. And I'm like, no, don't focus on that part. How has your response time increased? Because probably when it first happened, it took you a decade to get over it and get out your feelings. Then the next time it took you 10 months, then it took you 10 minutes. Then, oh, now you see it. That's the part that we should be focusing on. And I think so often we discount the growth that we have made because we're discounting the small beginnings. We're always focusing on the bigger win and not all the smaller wins along the way, which really produces the gratitude to keep you going until you finally get to where you perceive is the end. What are your thoughts on that? So to be fully transparent, this is something that I'm still working on in my business, where I discard the small stuff because I'm after a big vision. And I always have to remind myself, put the vision away for now and see step by step. Because in the same way that the universe God showed me with my kids, it didn't show me the the whole way. It was step by step. I remember, so I always call it, I believe in miracles. And for me, a lot of mini miracles happened in my life. I remember once when my son was 13, he went through something very, very, my kids went through stuff, traumatic stuff with their father who has issues. And he was 13 and he was not doing well. And I want I was trying to find a solution. So I went to the organization called Big Sisters, Big, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, where they match an adult with a kid to become a friend and to have a good role model in their life. And my son didn't have a good male role model. So I said, okay, I'm going to find him one. I went there and he was 13 and they told me, huh, he's 13. You know, nobody wants to get matched with a kid who's that old. That's going to be very difficult. I said, okay, that's fine. Put him in the program anyway. And I forgot about it. And when he went, when he was 13, uh, 15, two years later, he was going through something where I was, I was, you know, it was a crisis. So I asked God, show me what am I supposed to do? Show me the solution. Do I need to read a book? Do I need to meet someone? Do I need to learn something? Do I need to do something? Show me what helped me. I kid you not, two hours later, I got a phone call from Big Brothers, Big Sisters. Two years after, when I didn't care about them, they told me they had a match. And they're still in contact now, over two years uh, later, where they are very good friends and they love each other. So, step by step. When you want to see the whole thing, you're getting in your own way. And I think Martin Luther King said only see the next step. You don't have to see the whole staircase. That's exactly that. Trust, because as human beings, we are uncomfortable with uncertainty because our brain is wired that way. In olden times, you were going to a place where you didn't know the environment, you didn't know the predators. It could be potentially, uh, you could die. 
And it's still wired that way. We need certainty. We need to feel that it's a solid foundation. Feel your stair. Feel your step. Is it solid? Yes, go. And then the, trust the next one will be shown to you. And look backwards. Look behind you where you were, where you are now. We're also not taught to brag. It's very... uh uh, it's not humble, it's not good, you shouldn't brag. I say you should brag to yourself, you should, maybe it's not bragging with the same, you know, cognition of I'm better than you. No, we're all great. But look where you've been and you can do that in front of your mirror. You can say, I do a lot of mirror work with my clients. Look where you've been, You look where you were and look where you are now. Thank yourself for all the, the path and the growth and everything because it builds your self-confidence that you've done that. You've done that. You've done that. And you add them. And then soon enough you say, okay, I can deal with anything coming my way. I'm fine. I'll find a way. Wow. That was definitely powerful and definitely very a very key takeaway for the audience to take from this amazing conversation. I know my cup is full. I hope all of you who are listening, your cup is full. So Muriel, please tell everyone how they can connect with you if they have any questions. So they can connect on my website. And I also have a free uh, kit for mom. It's called uh, Back to Peace Kit. And it's a kit with a meditation, a tapping session when you had an argument, and a visualization to work with those emotions we were talking about. Uh, my website is Single Moms, M-O-M-S, because I know in the UK it's M-U-M-S, Single Moms, uh, doingitall.com. Wow, thank you for that. And thank you, Muriel, for coming on to the show today and just sharing your wealth of knowledge and sharing your journey of just becoming I think just like you said, we are all in the progress of our process. We're all in emotion, but we also have to reflect on how far we've come to be able to fully see where we are going. And so I really hope that what was shared today resonates with everyone who is listening. And please feel free to connect with Muriel so she can be of help and hope in a, a cheerleader for you because we all need a community of people who are going to help us along the process. So again, thank you guys for taking the opportunity to listen to this episode. We would love to hear from you and your thoughts and any of your takeaways from this episode. And you hope, hope to be your best and continue to soar and shine in everything that you do. Take care, everyone. Thank you. This has been the Audacious Intent Podcast with Imani Harris. Thank you so much for joining. I hope that what you heard today was helpful to you. If you have feedback on today's episode, feel free to message hello at audaciouslymade.com. I'd love to hear from you. Be sure to join me again next time for another episode of education and empowerment to stand boldly in your life and business. Thanks for listening and continue to shine in everything you do.